So it's great to see you all. I'm going to share, just before I get into the message, I will share the screen uh, and I'll share this photo of our family. It's a couple, from a couple years ago. Uh, we need to get it updated this summer. Uh, and so I'll just give you a quick update on our family. Uh, on the right side, to my right side, I can never remember if it flips it or not, but the, our child in the foreground is Juliet. She's our youngest. Uh, she is, um, has already finished her undergrad. She did some master's work in linguistics, more on the research side. Uh, but she really wants to do uh, practical linguistics. And so she's actually going to England in the fall um, to start the program that's with a, a British a Bible College and with Wycliffe, it's their master's program for preparing uh, linguists for uh, Bible translation and community development and all that. So she's not decided if that's what God is calling her to do, but it is a first step for her. So uh, if you're no taking notes and writing things down, you can pray for Juliet, just that uh, wisdom. We're trusting God for uh, the tuition. It's not too not too huge, but uh, it's something there too. And we're just looking forward to seeing how God's going to lead her. We're really thankful for this. Behind Juliet is Anastasia. Uh, she just is about to finish her second year in university. Anastasia's uh, journey into studies was a little bit uh, up and down for health reasons, but she's doing great. Uh, we're really thankful and, uh, and is doing well in her studies. She's at the Sorbonne, the University of Paris, studying art. Uh, and so she uh, is both, has 50% theoretical classes and the other half are in practical. You can pray for her. She's uh, asked to get into a special third year program uh, for design, which is a little bit more uh, in her area. So that she's on a waiting list for that. So we can pray for her. And then our son, Pascal, you've already seen him. Uh, Pascal has finished, just finished his master's uh, degree. Uh, it's an education master's degree. He will not be teaching, uh, and, uh, but he is a musician, as you can see. And uh, he, God has gifted Pascal as a composer, uh, writer of songs. Uh, as I said in the um, comments part, in the notes, you can go out on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram and find how to hear what he's doing. Um, he's actually working on a pro he's trying to move into being a full-time singer songwriter musician in France and he'll probably have English work too so that's our children uh, then my wife Sylvie there she is uh, she's upstairs uh, I'll, I'll explain the situation where we're living here in the message uh, but Sylvie and I uh, we celebrate 27 years of marriage I met her here in France back in 1992 um, and uh, I just thank God for her. She just celebrated her birthday last week. And uh, uh, one little prayer, two prayer requests for her. One is she's got a frozen shoulder that's starting to come unfrozen. So that'll be good because she's an artist and she hasn't been able to do any drawing for about four months. So uh, that's a bit. Of, and then the other thing is, is she has a very active ministry uh, reaching out to ladies in our neighborhood. And she has quite a group of women that she's friends with and does activities with and is trying to share the gospel with. And it's a, uh, it's a, a field that needs a lot of prayer. So you can pray for her in that. So there's a 
that's a little bit about us. I'll touch on our, and then I, I'm Matt, that's me, I'm here, you see me, I'm stopping the sharing. So there we go. Um, it's great to be with you all today. And uh, as I said, I've had the opportunity to preach uh, with you over the, um, over the years. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, am I in the, I just see myself as a little screen. I don't see myself as a big screen, but is, are people seeing me as the main speaker? I'm sorry, just to, it is okay, great, sorry. Um, so uh, I visited Terrell Road and it's been great to fellowship with you all over the years. And, uh, and obviously one of the questions people are gonna ask me as a missionary is where do you live, right? Um, and I, uh, when Sylvie and I were first married, I got to tell people we live in uh, Provence. We are in the south of France, not far from Avignon, Marseille. We lived in a little village. It was very picturesque. I had a bit of an itinerant ministry. Uh, our three children were born in that area. Uh, and then in 1999, we made a major change uh, where we left uh, the ministry that we're doing was mainly itinerant uh, street preaching with open air campaigners and then moved to more local church work in a town of Grenoble. We lived in the suburbs just outside of Grenoble, uh, right in the mountains. Again, incredibly beautiful. Uh, and uh, we served there for uh, about 16, 15 years, 16 years, um, I guess 15, because we got there in 2001, left in 2016. And then 2016, we made the move to Paris. Um, and one of the interesting things when we look at our movements, um, the big change for us in 1999 was this. Uh, we are living in a beautiful little village in the middle of Provence, um, about 2,000 people. But we were supposed to be evangelists preaching in the streets. And so it really didn't work in a little village, right? So we had to drive either 45 minutes to the south or 30 minutes. All the population centers were a long ways from us. And it, it's a long story, but basically we got to a point where we realized there's a problem here. We're preaching the, the gospel in the streets. We're seeing people interested in what's going on. And yet we live so far away. We're not close to the churches. We want to bring those two spaces together. And so God blessed us really in 2001, when we moved to Grenoble, we literally lived a five-minute walk from our church building, the, the assembly that we are serving there. Uh, we were working with Brad and Catherine Dixon at the time. And, and over the next 15 years, we stayed within a five-minute walk, basically, of that church building. And so we lived in the neighborhood. Uh, and we learned a lot about what it means to live in a neighborhood uh, and have a local church but have the church not really connected to the local neighborhood. And then when God led us to come to Paris, uh, and this is where you can now understand my background, that's our stairs going up to our apartment that's over this little storefront space that we have our church in. We can't have our church in it right now. Here, I'll lift this, you can see behind me there. That's basically the front window going out onto our street. That's my nice big bald Ford head. Um, and then there's the chairs. Uh, we can't have services here yet. We've been doing things live like you. And we have this incredible blessing to have basically our personal life, our church life, our neighborhood life all become the same thing. And uh, 
and that's become a kind of a, a theme, as I said, for us since 1999. God has given us this. And it makes you think about what does it mean to live in a place? What it means to, as I said, where do you live? And so this is something I've thought about over the years. And today I would like us to read from uh, John's Gospel and looking at uh, John chapter 1. And verse, verse 29. And what I'd like to do is, is I would like us to look at this text. Uh, it's really an interesting text because it's just between um, Jesus being baptized and then him calling his first disciples, was well, part of calling his first disciples. But I think there's some details here. If we don't pay attention, we may miss some that says a lot about uh, where we are today, where we live and what it means to live and be rooted in a place. Um, as I said, the title of the message, if you want to have one, is Where Do You Live? The text is John, 1 John, John chapter 1, verse 29. I'll read it. The next day, and this is the day after Jesus was baptized, the next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing water that might be revealed to Israel. And John bore words saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And there we finish the reading of God's word. First thing I want to just point out, is still within the introduction, is how grounded in uh, reality this text is. Uh, we have John the Baptist baptizing. We have people walking around. We're on successive days. Uh, and we have these, these disciples. And John is standing there, and the, the, John, the, the gospel writer, wants us to, to be able to see this picture in our minds. He wants us to see that there's John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he says, there he is again. And this is the one who I was telling you about. Behold the Lamb of God. And so then two disciples, verse 37, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And this is where things I find are very interesting, because Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? Now, we need to hear that question very well. 
Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John are to two disciples who we don't know who they are. He turns, they were following him, and he turns and says to them, what are you seeking? Now, obviously, there may be a whole lot more going on. Uh, there are details that John didn't give to us, but he wanted to give us these details. And I think they're really important because the answer that the disciples give also is incredibly interesting and important. The disciples say to him first, Rabbi, and John the author gives us what that means. It means teacher. So uh, obviously these two disciples had some prior knowledge to who Jesus was and what was going on. And when John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God, the disciples were like, okay, we've heard about this guy. We've heard about him. We need to follow him. And so they say to him, where are you staying? Or, uh, and Jesus then answers, come and you will see. And so this is how I'm going to organize the message, just with these three, two questions and this one statement. Two questions that teach us a lot about what it means to be a disciple, and the statement also. So first, when Jesus turns to them and asks them, what are you seeking? Obviously, if we're walking down the street and someone comes up behind us, we'll probably have the same question if we don't know them. What do you want? What do you want from me? What are you seeking? Um, and it's interesting that Jesus wants to first, before he enters into a relationship with these disciples, he wants to understand what's going on in their hearts. He asks them, what are you seeking? And from this we can know, and then we can go into other parts of the scriptures, and also from our life experience, we know that it's our desires that orient our lives. What we are seeking, what we are going after, is what's going to orient our lives. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before trying to find out how to get clothed, before to find out how to get food, the primary thing is to seek God. The same thing with the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Jesus, in John, in his gospel, in this first interaction with Jesus with his disciples, Jesus is saying one very important thing, what are you seeking? And then the disciples are saying something very important. They're asking, where are you staying? Or another translation could be, where do you live? Now, it's interesting when we look at this second point now, first was, what are you seeking? Our desires orient our lives. The second point, where are you staying? Where do you live? The word staying there is the same word that's used just earlier in the text, where it says in verse 32 of chapter 1, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Other words, the word remained there, it means it lived on him, it stayed on him. And so this word that is used in Greek is, indicates this notion, not just staying in the sense of, I took a hotel room over there and I'm staying there tonight. 
staying is the idea of where my presence. Uh, you may already probably are, some of you are thinking, where else in the Gospel of John is this word staying used? Uh, there's another term that we know, and what is it? Abiding. It's the same word. The word for remained on him in verse 32, the word for staying in verse 38 is also the same word that Jesus uses when he's talking to his disciples and says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who remains, abides in me, will bear much fruit. So we see here, uh, and again, we don't want to make a, a full theology out of this because it's not, I don't think that's exact, we can't go to that detail, but it is interesting that the same idea, the same notion, where are you staying, is not just a casual thing. What am I trying to say? Jesus had a place where he lived, where he was known, there is the place where Jesus lives. Now, we know that in uh, other places in the Gospels, we know that Jesus, his base of operations in, um, in Capernaum was in the house of uh, Simon, Peer, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And that was his base of operations. If you were going to find Jesus in Capernaum, you would go to that house. You didn't have to ask people, oh, where is Jesus staying? Everybody knew if Jesus was here in town, you would go to that house to see him. So basically, what we can see from this is the disciples want to be there where the place where Jesus has his habitual presence, the place where Jesus is. I think this has big, uh, deep implications for us as we understand our place in this world. If you remember what I was saying earlier about where we lived, we were a little village in, in the south of France, we were in an uh, apartment in the suburbs of Grenoble, and now we're living in a storefront building, uh, apartment building with a storefront uh, in the middle of one of the most densely urban populations uh, in Paris and also in the world. It's, uh, Paris is known for being extremely populated, uh, densely populated. Um, and there's a reality of what does it mean to live in a place? Uh, as I said, Sylvie and I, we've been living here now for uh, um, four years now. And part of our call in our ministry is to say, what does it mean to be individuals who live in a habitual way in the street where we live, but also what does it mean to be a church that has a habitual presence in this street? Where do you live? Where do you live as an individual? Where do you live corporately? How do people see you? Um, when I first arrived here in this neighborhood, uh, we live in a uh, subsidized housing complex. Uh, it's not like what you're imagining. It's beautiful buildings from the 1920s. Um, uh, we have courtyards. We have, yes, it's, it's not like, uh, it's, it's very nice public housing. But it is public housing, so it's low-income uh, people. Uh, and one day, there was a, a guy who uh, lives in the street. His name is Didier. He was, uh, uh, he was coming in and out, and it's obviously he didn't belong here. 
and I basically said, what do you, basically I asked him, what are you looking for? What do you, what do you want? And he gets super angry with me. He, well, obviously he was probably drunk when he got angry with me. He's, he's usually drunk, but he gets really angry with me. Uh, like, why am I asking that question? And why? Because he did not see me as someone who belonged there. He didn't see me as a habitual presence. He didn't know who I was. That was three years ago. This past year during our lockdown, uh, I had my office here in the church, and all of a sudden, DDA became my best friend. He would come and knock on the door, and I would give him a cup of coffee. He would come on and knock on the door, and I'd give him some food. He even got to the point, we have a shower on our ground floor here, got to the point where he says, uh, I offer him, do you need to take a shower? And he said, yes. And so he's showered here. What has changed? What has changed is DDA, who lives here, I mean, that's where he, he lives in this street. He's always been here. He goes to prison. He comes back. He, he disappears for a while. He comes back. But this is where he is. And now he recognizes us as having habitual presence. We have that privilege and that thing because we live here, because we're here. But then, as I said, the, the third point here is not only what are you seeking, which is a great question to ask people, like I asked DDA, and you can ask to your friends, your neighbors, to yourself. And then when you ask, where are you staying? Where do you live? Where is your presence? Where are you habitually? And it's not just about our locality, isn't it? You know that. Uh, many of you had uh, very uh, busy careers, and that was another place where you had a habitual pre presence. Uh, some of you are working hard right now, and you know what it is. Some of you are dealing with the realities of uh, working from the house, and how do you understand being a part of a company being away? How does rudeness work in that? There's our families, and then there's our friend networks. Understanding where we live, how are we rooted into these spaces, is so important for a disciple. The third thing that I want to point out from this text is Jesus says, come and you will see. Before Jesus starts teaching the disciples, before Jesus starts explaining things, the disciples wanted to see where he lives, and Jesus says, come and see. And I would say this is probably uh, one of the hallmarks of us as followers of Christ. It's also one of the hardest things to do, and that is understanding, growing, and our ability to welcome people into our lives. It's one thing to meet people on the street, it's another thing to invite them into your house. Jesus says, come and see where I live. Come and see where I have my habitual presence. Another way to think about it is Jesus was known in his city, and people go there and see him. And one of the questions I ask of, our, of us here is, do people see us and come and ask for help? Again, it was interesting during the lockdown, it wasn't only DDA who came and knocked on the door of our church. Uh, it was also other people, uh, people who needed things printed out because you had to have a piece of paper. There were people who needed um, to use the bathroom. <laughs> there were people who needed help getting onto the internet. It was fascinating all of a sudden because we were the only store open on the street. 
because uh, around us is just restaurants and they were all closed, people started knocking on our door. Again, how do we understand, how do we live what it means to invite people in to extend hospitality? Um, I have to admit, and I do this because I'm honest, I forgot one part of my introduction. Oh, excuse me. I forgot one part of my introduction where I wanted to also draw the, the link between individual responsibility and corporate responsibility. Um, part of our reason for leaving the south of France was that while we were individually moving out and going to churches, but we were coming back to this little town and we we're very disconnected from the, from the church community and actually having a part. And so we wanted to be closer to the church community so that our, our individual life and our community life could have more sense, more coherence. Um, and I think that's one of the, the big tensions that we face in life. And I don't have to, I live outside the United States, but you all are dealing with and understand these tensions right now in a very real way. How do we, un, how do we balance individual responsibility and corporate responsibility as local churches, as communities, as a country? And I think the church has to really take those things seriously too. The question, what are you seeking, makes us ask the question of ourselves, what's going on with our hearts? And that's a question that God is constantly asking. He wants to know what's going on with our hearts, what's happening in the deepest parts of our lives, not only as individuals, but also as churches, and to understand our corporate responsibilities. Do we know where we live? Do we understand that in the sense of, am I having a habitual presence where I am? Um, I'm sorry, I've not visited other people's homes in uh, the Terrell Road uh, Gospel Chapel family, but I know in, with Alan and Fiona, we were there one time when it was the, uh, one of the festivals that were part of the neighborhood, and we went to this neighborhood festival thing. And again, the reality of neighborhoods, how do we live within our neighborhoods? Do we have a habitual presence? And then the third thing, are we inviting people into our lives? Um, it's not easy. It's risky. Um, but that's a call that Jesus gives us. And what's interesting, just as uh, Jesus never asked us to do something that he did not do himself. If you move back up in the Gospel of John to that great first part, the prologue, in verse 14, what does it say? John chapter 1, verse 14. In the Word, Jesus Christ, God the Son, who lived in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three in one, perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect fellowship, the Word, who was there at the beginning of the creation of all things, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the verb that's used there, dwelt among us, he put his tent up. He moved into the street, as Eugene Peterson says in the message. Jesus came and dwelt among us. And John goes on to say in verse 14, and we have seen his glory 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus comes to us not from outside our space, not from outside our world. He comes from within our world. He comes at one who knows us, who is tempted like us, but without sin, who understands our weaknesses. And he asks us, what are you seeking? And we ask him, where are you staying, Lord Jesus? Show us. And he says to us, come and you will see. I think the, just in speaking of from the, the aspect of the pandemic and the coronavirus, uh, it has challenged us deeply in terms of what it means to have an habitual presence. Um, it's challenged us deeply what it means to be in relationship with people. Um, it's been a stress test for relationships. Uh, and I think what God, as things change and things get better, one of the things God's going to be calling us to do is to say, do we really know our neighbors? If yes, go deeper with those relationships. If not, we need to know them. We need to know that individually and corporately. This is what we try to live here in Paris, and we would ask your prayers for us here. Uh, and I will pray for you all. Uh, I know these are things that you all think about. I've seen the chapel. I've seen your love for each other. I've seen your love for your community. And I know this is, in some ways, nothing new. But I hope it's a call for us to, to once again remember who we are and what Christ has done for us. And to remember that he says to us at the end of John, he says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, you are so good and so loving, and we thank you for your word, which is so clear. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who came and dwelt among us and, uh, and took the form of a servant and was obedient to death, to death on the cross. And because of his obedience, because of his sacrifice, because of his righteousness too, because he bore our sins, you did not leave him in the grave, and you raised him from the dead, and you've given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And we want to today bow our knee to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then like Isaiah, be ready to hear you say, who will go? And Father, let us be the ones who will go. Where you've placed us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our work environments, in our friends' environments, may we be deeply rooted in those spaces so that people can hear us and see us and so that we can invite them into our lives and so that they may discover who you are. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.